Can you heal from abuse? What do I do after leaving my narcissist? What does a healthy relationship look like? These concerns cross the minds of over 20 people every minute, over 28,800 people every day. And the sad fact is, we still don't talk about it enough. Healing from emotional abuse isn't a band-aid situation, but it doesn't have to take years either. The lives of millions of other survivors around the world have been impacted by their narcissist. Yours doesn't have to. To show you how to live a free, confident, and peaceful life, your host and founder of the Healing from Emotional Abuse philosophy, Marissa F. Cohen. Hey guys, welcome back to Breaking Through Our Silence podcast, where we talk about anything sexual assault and domestic violence in a very candid and raw way. The whole point here is to bring awareness to the topics of domestic violence and sexual assault. I want everyone to know what people go through and different topics that relate to domestic violence and sexual assault so that you can be more understanding and aware of people and friends and family members who experience it and how you can better help. And my life mission is to help survivors who are leaving abusive relationships or have already left abusive relationships find healing. I want to help you succeed and be the champions of your lives. Take your life back and take your voice back. Today, I just wanted to share a bit of my story and how I've gotten to where I am now from the experiences I've had. My first boyfriend in college started off by being kind and he was charming and he was funny. We were on student government together. So every single day he'd bring me snacks to my desk and we would put our feet up on my desk and watch Glee and eat snacks. And it was fun and he made me feel special and loved. And I was thrilled because he was my first ever relationship and that's what I wanted. I wanted somebody to coddle me and be kind and funny and thrilling. You know, it wasn't even, it wasn't thrilling like we were going on roller coasters. It was thrilling like this is what I saw in movies and this is what I'd always dreamed my first relationship would be like and this was really happening. So by the time we were official for three months, he did a complete 180 and had become verbally, psychologically, and sexually abusive. It started off by him telling me that the things I was saying were dumb or stupid. And then it turned into my opinions were stupid. Then everything I, I did and said and believed and wanted was worthless. And, you know, one of the things that he told me is I'm never going to be independent and I'm going to always depend on a man. Specifically, I was always going to depend on him for support financially and emotionally because I was a piece of crap and would never amount to anything. After he would say things like that, it's not like I had the foresight to say, hmm, he's wrong. I'm not going to be like that. I'm never going to be like that. It was at this point, he had fulfilled my dreams of what I had expected in a boyfriend. And I had grown to love him and respect him so much throughout the first couple weeks and months that by the time that it was getting really bad, I didn't even see it anymore. I thought and felt that everything that he had said to me and done to me was because he loved me and he respected me and he wanted me to be better. I thought that it was all out of love and respect because that's what I gave to him. I thought that's what his way of showing love and respect to me was. So at this point, it was a little bit past Christmas. I had become such a shell of a human that I was experiencing horrendous bouts of depression and anxiety. The thought of going to school, getting up in the morning, 
showering, brushing my hair were all feats. And they were things that I needed to overcome every single day because I was still on the student government. I was still the face of the student government. I had all of these responsibilities and all these things I needed to do on top of working two jobs and taking six classes. So it's not like I had a lot of time to wallow. I just had to figure out how to pretend that I was not this broken shell of myself. So every day I'd go to school and every day people would talk to me and approach me and he would demean me and it just never really, it didn't get better. And I thought he loves me and he's doing this because he loves me. I wish that he wasn't saying these things and doing these things, but he must be doing it for my benefit. And all I could think of were the good times, how at the very beginning, how we'd sit at my desk and watch Glee and how he took me on these beautiful dates to these amazing restaurants, how he took me to walk on the beach and held my hand and made me feel so special and said all these beautiful things to me. And that's what would go through my mind every single day. All of these horrible things that were happening right now must be coming from a better place because he's still that good person inside. There's still that goodness in him and those experiences that we had. And and occasionally we would go on beautiful dates and he'd say beautiful things and we would do fun stuff and he would be nice. But it just got worse and worse with everything that I let him get away with and everything that I didn't stand my ground on. I want to stop for a second and really reflect on this. Have you ever had an experience like that where a friend or a boyfriend or girlfriend or significant other or family member treated you in a way that you didn't truly understand what they were doing was mean-spirited, but it made you feel bad and you just justified it? Think about that because that's something that all survivors go through. It's really important to keep that in mind when you're working with or talking to or helping champions of sexual assault and domestic violence because not seeing those red flags and justifying those kinds of behaviors is very common. On January 15th, 2010, the 10-year anniversary is coming up. I remember we were at his house and his parents and his brother were downstairs and we were upstairs in like a kid's room or like a hangout room with like a TV and a pool table. And we were watching a movie and the movie ended. And I said, I need to get ready to go. You know, my curfew, I need to leave. Uh, I have about 15 minutes. And he said, well, why don't we just go cuddle? you know, for 15 minutes before you go. I just, I just really want to spend that time with you. And that was something that we had done before we cuddled and we would lay in his bed and we'd lay on the couch and he was fun. It was fun and it was familiar. And those were the quality moments that I really loved with him. So we went into his room and we got into his bed and he said, we're going to cuddle. I want to cuddle naked. It was weird, but it wasn't out of the ordinary. It was something that we had done before. He justified it and we justified it as, you know, the skin to skin contact is so much more beautiful. And at this time I was a virgin. I had never done anything before. I think I made out with one guy, maybe two guys before him, but that was it. I'd never done anything else. So he knew that I was not ready for sex. We had that conversation to the day a week before that I was just not ready. We had only been together for almost three months and I was still a baby. (laughs) So we were laying in his bed naked, cuddling. And then before I could even blink, he had flipped me onto my back, held my hands above my head, and he began to have sex with me. It was so shocking that I couldn't breathe. And it was like time had stopped and everything in the world was frozen and I couldn't move and I couldn't scream and I couldn't do or say anything. I didn't even realize it was rape until about six months later. I don't even know. I don't know how long it went for. All I know is I don't think I breathed the entire time. And when he stopped, he rolled over on his side and 
and I was still laying on my back and I was shaking and he was like panting. Like he had just done all this incredibly difficult work. I just rolled over, looked away from him and started crying. And I couldn't stop crying for an hour. I couldn't make words. I think that was the first panic attack I ever had. I was gasping for air and I was just hysterical. And he was sitting there rubbing my back, telling me that everything's fine and I'm just being dramatic and sex is nice. And, you know, that's what boyfriends and girlfriends do. You have sex with each other. So what's the problem? So I ended up staying at his place that night because I couldn't drive. I was hysterical and uh, I stayed in a guest room, but I didn't sleep the entire night. I don't even think I closed my eyes for more than 10 seconds at a time because I was very fearful. So the next morning, he took me out for breakfast after his parents gave me a ton of crap about having had sex and he, you know, making the joke that he owes me a morning after breakfast and all this stuff. And I was mortified. So then we went out to breakfast. He further justified why what happened the night before was okay and how, you know, I'm supposed to just kind of like, you know, doing it more will make it better. But I didn't feel anything. It's not like it hurt. It just, it felt like nothing. I felt numb. So the the problem for me wasn't that it hurt or that it'll get better physically. The problem was that I, I didn't feel anything physically, but emotionally I felt torn apart. I remember sitting at breakfast and I was eating food. I was force feeding myself and I just felt this big gaping hole in my stomach that I couldn't really, I couldn't fill. And I thought maybe eating more food would help or having more sex would help. Or I, I didn't know because I didn't know it wasn't normal. There was no education about what it's supposed to be like afterwards, like what you're supposed to feel and that these feelings weren't normal. I had no idea and I had no one to talk to about it. You know, some of my friends had had sex, but it wasn't a conversation that we were or I was willing to have. So I sat down with my mom the next day and she told me sex is beautiful and sex is something that you do when you love somebody and that it's okay. I didn't tell her that it wasn't consensual. I still didn't tell her. And after that, I just didn't want to hurt her. I didn't want her to feel like she could have stopped it because she couldn't have. I didn't know what was going on. You know, he took advantage in a very vulnerable moment. So I just went with it and, you know, said thank you very much. And, you know, I, I know that sex is, is a good thing. It's a good thing to do with somebody you love. Fine. Cool. Moving on. I didn't talk to anybody about it for the rest of the weekend. The next Monday in school, I was in the office with a couple of my friends and I had subtly brought up the fact that, you know, Dave and I had had sex for the first time, but I didn't really want to. And their reactions were explosive. It wasn't, oh my God, what do you mean? It was, what? What's going on? What do you mean you didn't want it? You, he had sex with you anyways? And I just was terrified and I withdrew. They knew him. I still loved him and I didn't want anyone to hate him or get him in trouble. Again, I still didn't know what had happened was rape. So I didn't talk about it again for about six months. I want to take another minute to reflect on this. What do you think you would have done in my situation if you were already very timid about something that happened to you and very, very confused about a situation and you had people get really, really aggressive and loud? It's a little intimidating, I think. So I'd like to know what you guys would have done or did do in that situation when you had it or when you could have potentially had it. It's confusing and scary. And then one of the biggest fears is being judged. So now you're being judged on top of being overwhelmed. So what do you think? Meanwhile, I continued to have sex with him over and over again because I thought maybe it would get better. And then he forced me to go down on him. That was a horrendous experience too. And he blamed all of that 
on me crying after sex because it made him feel so bad and he felt so guilty for making me cry. So this was almost like me having to repay him for hurting him, which was really manipulative. About six months later, I was driving with my best friend. Uh, I was driving the car and we were jamming out to Taylor Swift and eating candy. We passed this ice cream place that we both really liked. And she said something like, if you love me, you'll pull over. And I just lost it. I fell into another panic attack. She had to grab the wheel because I couldn't breathe and pull the car over for us. And I unloaded everything and told her everything. And that was probably the smartest not planned decision I ever made because she happened to be the perfect person to tell that to. She was calm and she was actively listening and she let me say what I needed to say and she wasn't trying to solve my problem. She listened to me and loved me and validated me and told me that we will do whatever it takes to make me okay and to help me get over this. My best friend turned out to be the perfect person to speak to, not only because she was so calm and understanding, but because she had experience in it and she totally empathized with me and totally understood what I was going through. Who is somebody that you feel you can talk to without feeling like you're going to be judged or without feeling like what you're going to say is going to scare them? Think about that because those people are so important to have in your life. So that was January 15th, 2010. On March 15th, exactly two months later, I broke up with him. We got back together and then broke up again a week later, but the big one was... March 15th. And then in July is when I told my best friend. So there was like a good amount of time where I was just devastated still and not talking about it, but not dealing with him either in a romantic way. And I definitely took my trauma and ran with it in a way that was very unhealthy. I still had that big hole in my stomach and having sex with him didn't fill it. So I thought maybe having sex with other people would. So I started sleeping around, not with random strangers and not with hundreds of people, but people that I was interested in, I was much quicker to jump into bed with them than I would have been, um, than I initially was and planned to be growing up. You know, I was always a person that was very conservative with myself. I didn't go on dates with people I didn't want to. I didn't kiss people I didn't want to. I never felt forced to do anything. I never felt like I needed the attention. And so that stuff never really bothered me And that stuff never really affected me. But after this, I had this, that feeling and I I just wanted that feeling to go away. So that summer I did my fair share of sleeping around and hurting people without meaning to. And it was all about like a self-discovery thing for me. And so to anyone who I may have hurt that summer in 2010, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. It was a reckless summer for me. So many people have so many different responses to this type of trauma. Some people completely withdraw from society or from the gender that hurt them or from friends and family and just maintain that victim mentality shell of themselves lifestyle, which is really, really unfortunate. And some people act out. Some people develop eating disorders. Some people really get into a hobby. It's so different for every person. There's a lot of overlap in drug use and alcohol abuse and sexual assault and domestic violence. There's homelessness. There's so many different outcomes. So being understanding of that and knowing that this is all a response to a trauma is really important to be mindful of. So fast forward through the summer, I went back to school for about a week and then I got accepted into a program in Israel where I 
I was studying psychology overseas in a phenomenal school in Israel. And so I jumped on a plane and went and I moved there and I ended up connecting with old friends and started a relationship with this guy who ended up being my first love and completely took my rewired, messed up brain and fixed me. He pretty much rewired everything I believed about myself, everything I believed about relationships and love and what to expect and made me stronger than ever. And I was very lucky. He helped me put myself back together. After my year in Israel, I moved home and continued on with that relationship with the guy from Israel. I was at that school with my abuser for one more year where I was the vice president of the student government and he was the treasurer. And so I was still his his boss, if you will, in the student government. And he didn't like that. So he spent the whole year trying to make me look bad, trying to undermine everything that I was doing and saying. And at this point, I was already empowered. I had this phenomenal boyfriend who was still my boyfriend and came from Israel to visit me. And it made my abuser really, really uncomfortable that I was so happy and so strong and so sure of myself again. So one day in April, the whole year had gone by. One day in April, I was sitting outside reading and he came and sat next to me and he said, can we talk? And I said, I'd prefer not to, um, but I will. What do you want? And he said, I just wanted to tell you that I, I ruined you and I'm so sorry for everything I did. I don't know why I did it, but I am really happy that you found the Israeli guy. And I just wanted to really apologize and tell you that I'm, I'm really sorry for everything I did to you. And I said, okay, thank you. And that was it. And after that, we were fine. I forgave him. Um, I didn't forget. At no point did I forget. And I certainly wasn't going to go back to him. I knew what I would get into and was with somebody so much better. But it was like my sense of closure. And I knew that it was okay to move on and to not hold on to that anymore. And that was huge. Once you forgive, you never forget. But once you forgive, you're taking that power back from them. When you hold on to that anger and that hatred and that darkness, all you're doing is fueling their power. So the next year, I transferred to Rowan University in South Jersey. And the Israeli guy and I decided that uh, our distance is too much and we can stay loving each other and in a relationship sort of, but date other people. And it was something that we agreed on and something that we both were comfortable with because it just didn't seem reasonable while I was in college and he was in the army to hold on to each other like that. That was seven years ago. Now I am safe. I wrote two best-selling books about my abuse and other people's abuse. And I plan on writing a lot more. I have a ton of stories to share. I'm an open book. So ask me anything. Thank you guys so much for listening to Breaking Through Our Silence today. I think that these messages and these stories are so important to get out because our voices need to be heard. I'd love it if you would rate and share this podcast with anybody you think that would need it or needs to hear this information. If you enjoyed this podcast, you have to check out www.marissafaycohen.com backslash private dash coaching. That's www.marissafaycohen.com backslash private dash coaching. Marissa would love to develop a made for you healing plan to heal from emotional abuse. She does all the work and you just show up. Stop feeling stuck, alone and hurt and live a free, confident and peaceful life. Don't forget to subscribe to the Healing from Emotional Abuse podcast and follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Marissa F. Cohen and Instagram at marissa.fay.cohen. We'd love to see you there.